last song that we sang is a really a perfect, uh, perfect sort of summation of what we're going to talk about this morning. That we're going to talk about this idea of. Um, we're good. We're going to talk about this idea of. There we are. It's a miracle. Talk about this idea of um, where is Jesus, where is God when we're in, when we suffer, and the the summation of this whole idea is because He lives. Uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful picture that that we believe because Christ lives, because of what He did on, what, on the cross, and because of the resurrection, uh, that we can have hope in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, and and so that's. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, is this whole idea of suffering. And, and you know, if, if you have a calling like mine or a job like mine, um, you realize how, how difficult this kind of conversation is because when you interact with someone who is suffering, there, there are just no adequate words. There's nothing that you can say. Uh, there, there's, no, there's not enough wisdom uh, when people are in such pain that they, they can't breathe, that, that their whole life has been turned upside down, that, that m- most of the time what we do is that we just simply come alongside. We let them know we love them, we pray for them, we're with them. Uh, but it's a difficult time. It's a difficult thing to think about. And so wh- what do we, how do we deal with it? What do we look at? Uh, the Lord gives us some help in that, and we want to look at that this morning, that when we're facing those excruciatingly difficult times, those painful times uh, in, in our lives. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we know is, is that this has been going on throughout history. In fact, in the ancient times, there were these little bottles, they called them tear bottles. They were, um, they were lacrimatories is, was the name for them. And they were these little tear bottles. And it was said that people would weep, people would mourn, and they would allow their tears to go into these little bottles, and then the bottles would be placed in the burial places or the tombs of, of the people that they were mourning over. Uh, it was also said that, that wives would, would weep into these little tear bottles and that they would save those bottles. As their uh, husbands were going to war, uh, they would weep into these bottles and then save those bottles until their husbands returned uh, from battle. And, and so we know that that uh, there's been suffering, there's been tragedy, there's been difficult times throughout history. And we know that even in King David's time, uh, they used these tear bottles because in in Psalm 56, 8, it says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That David is saying that what I know is that you know when I'm in pain, you know when I'm hurting, that you've counted my tears, that they're, they're not lost, that you know of my suffering, and that you've written those things in your book, that you haven't forgotten me. And then Jesus tells us in, in John 16, verse 30, he says this, he says, in life, there will be tribulation. That's just sort of a guarantee. In this world that we live in, there'll be tribulation, there'll be suffering, there'll be trials, that, that we live in a world that's been broken, that we live in a world that's been broken by sin and by rebellion and, 
and uh, by all kinds of strife. And while we live, there will be suffering. While we live, there will be tribulation. But here's what Jesus said in John 16, 30. He said, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. Yes, there's going to be suffering. Yes, there's going to be tribulation. Yes, there's going to be hardship. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. The, the thing that Jesus promises is so important to us is, is not that we'll never suffer, but what he promises is that in the middle of that suffering, we can find him. In that middle of our suffering, we can know that he's with us, that he hasn't forgotten us, that he still loves us. And, and so he gives us lots of reminders in the scripture. And, and I've put down a few for us this morning. In Psalm 41.10, he says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all you, who are lab- all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Come to me, all you who are overwhelmed and burdened, and I'll give you rest. In Psalm 91, 4, he says, He will cover you with his pinions, and and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Then in Psalm 147, 3, he says, He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Finally, Isaiah 54, 10 says this, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. He's telling us he hasn't forgotten us, that he knows exactly where we are and exactly what we're experiencing. And whether we see it or not, he's involved. He hears us. He empathizes with us. He hasn't left us. God speaks to us through his scripture words of comfort and assurance. He wants us to know that he's with us. He wants us to know that he is our comfort. And then he says something really interesting through the the Apostle Paul. He says in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, he says this, not only that, not only am I your comforter, uh, not only am I your assurance, but he says not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And I'm thinking, I would love to start with hope and sort of work toward the rest of it. I would much prefer if, if it said, and so when you suffer, it produces hope. That's first in your life. And then it produces some endurance. And then you get character after that. But what he says is that as we journey through suffering, as we journey through struggles in our lives, that, that what happens to us, what can happen to us, is that those sufferings can produce an endurance, a strength that, uh, that we didn't even know that we had. Those strengths, that endurance produces character that changes our whole life, changes how we look at life, changes how people see us, and that character then produces hope. It produces trust in God. That's what he promises. In this hope, Christ allows us to breathe, to take another step, to continue in spite of our suffering, and we know that Jesus suffered, and it was through his suffering that we have hope. There's another picture that we have in Hebrews 11. 
in Hebrews 11, starting around verse 32, the, the, the writer talks about two groups of people. The first group of people are the great heroes of the faith. They're the great heroes in the history of the church and in the scripture. And, and they were people with great strengths, but also great weaknesses that God used uh, to do amazing things. And, and one of the prime examples that he gives us is, is King David. And, he tell, and we look at the life of David, and there was a time in David's life before he became the great king that he had been anointed by Samuel. David had been a shepherd. He had been the lowest uh, son. He had been the youngest of his fathers. He was the runt of the family. He was out with the sheep. The prophet Samuel came and said and, and anointed him to be the next king of Israel. And, and David really hadn't done anything. He hadn't been lobbying for that. Uh, he wasn't running for office. He wasn't doing any of those things. But Samuel had come and said, you're going to be the next king. And so David is trying to be faithful to that. And, and uh, we know the story of David and Goliath, and we know some of the other things that David did, and we find David here in this spot. Now, he is hiding for his life because Saul, the king of Israel, has become afraid of him and jealous of him and has sent men to kill him. So here is David, who's been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, running for his life, hiding in a cave, uh, fearing for his very existence, and he's thinking, okay, I would think, why me, God? I was just a shepherd. You're the one that had me anointed. You're the one that said I was going to be the next king. I'm just trying to be faithful. And now I find myself in this cave and, and I'm worried day in and day out if I'm going to even survive this. Why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering like this? That's, that's how you would think David would respond. But we get a glimpse into David in Psalm 57 that he trusted, he placed his hope in God and God's promises and he lived by faith and he waited. And, and starting at verse seven in Psalm 57, it says this, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. My heart is steadfast. It's, a, it, it's, it's saying, Lord, I have got a hold of you and, and this is super glue. I am not letting go. I trust you. I need you and I'm not going to let go of you in spite of my circumstances, in spite of my suffering, in spite of my fear. I am not letting go of you. And then he continues in verse 9. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What did David do in the middle of his suffering? How, what was David's response to the tribulation, to the trial, to the suffering in his life? He gave us some hints. He said, my heart is steadfast, O God. He said, I will hold fast. I will hold fast. And then he said, I will wait. And then, he, and then he tells us, I will live by faith, not by sight, but I will trust you, Lord. He, he would hold fast, he would wait, he would live by faith, he would trust, he would hope. And then finally it says he would worship. He would sing in the middle of his struggles, in the middle of his suffering. He would worship. 
because he knew that God was bigger than his struggles. He knew that God was bigger than his trials. And he knew that God had made a promise to him and God would always keep his promises. And so David stood on that. And so in the middle of one of the darkest times in his life, he worshiped. He held fast and he worshiped. Well, there's another great picture. Oh, there's a second group that I wanted to mention in, in Hebrews 11. And this group, they're not the great heroes of the faith. They're not the kings and the warriors and the leaders, but they're the ones who were martyred. They're the ones who were persecuted and, and martyred for their faith. And, and the, the, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that, that they went through unspeakable suffering for the sake of Christ, for their belief in Christ. That, that we, we looked at the stories that you know about and historically we, we know they're true that people were fed to the lions, that people were crucified, that, that people were crucified upside down, that all kinds of horrendous things happened to people because they believed in Jesus. That worst kind of suffering that you can imagine because they believed in Jesus. And here's what's amazing is that when those people stood fast, when those people in the middle of that suffering, when they worshiped, it drew the whole world in. That Rome, the place, the very place where most of that persecution happened, within 200 years after that became a Christian nation. That the harder they persecuted those Christians, the faster Christianity grew. The, the, the more they caused them to suffer, the greater the, the, the greater the harvest, the more people that came to faith because they looked at those people and they said, there is something in their lives, there is something that I don't understand, there is something here that's bigger than I've ever seen that I can imagine, and how do I become part of that? How do I have in my life what they have? Because they handled their per persecution with steadfastness, with love, with worship. And it was amazing what happened. They turned the world upside down. And we would think in that moment of helplessness, we would think in that moment of pain that it would have been different, but they turned the world upside down for Christ. And then the other picture that we have is another well-known picture. It's the garden. You know the Garden of Gethsemane? You know that, right? Thank you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, you make me nervous sometimes. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples and he went to the garden, this garden in Gethsemane, and, and he prayed. And he took three of his disciples in further with him. And, 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 and most of you, you know the story, right, that, that Jesus went in and he prayed and he talked to the Father. And his, this was his prayer. It's because it's recorded in the Gospel of John that says, Lord, if there is, Father, if there is any other way to do this, if there's any other way to accomplish your mission, to accomplish your will, then let's do that. If there's any other way than, than me being separated from you and, and suffering from the cross and suffering the, humili the humiliation and the brokenness and all that's going to happen, if there's any other way to do that, then let's do that. But then the great caveat, the great change, uh, the great word for us in that is then Jesus said, but not my will be done but your will, right? And in that moment, Jesus surrendered his will to the Father. He said, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to surrender myself to you. 
And there's something about suffering in our lives that forces us to really look at what we believe and, and look at our lives. And, and you know what happens when we're in the middle of suffering, it's like going into a furnace and all those things that we thought were really important, all those things that we thought really mattered, they start to burn away and we realize they really don't matter in our lives after all. They're not as important as we had held them up to be. They don't do what we thought they were going to do. And when push comes to shove, what we have left in our lives when we suffer is what really, really matters. What really matters in our lives. That suffering produces that in our lives, that it forces us to think about who we believe, what we believe, and what really matters in our lives because everything else gets burned away. Everything else gets taken away. And we get a real look at what our life is about. A real look at what really matters and so Jesus, before he could endure the suffering of the cross, he had to surrender. And I know that that feels like an oxymoron to us, that, that before we can endure, we have to surrender. Before we can endure the sufferings uh, that we go through, or the struggles that we go through, we have to surrender. But that's the picture that Jesus gave us. And, and, I, and I know that scholars for years have said that the real battle at the cross was won in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was when Jesus surrendered his will to the Father that it prepared him, it set him up to endure the cross for our sake because he had surrendered his will to the Father. And sometimes when we go through suffering, we go through struggles in our lives, it's God's way of saying, will you surrender your will to me? Will you surrender your future to me? Will you surrender those things that you've really thought are so important? so significant in your life. Will you surrender those things to me? Because we begin to see that they don't really matter. They don't really matter as much as we thought they did. When I was a kid, I hated shots. I don't know how that worked for you guys, but I really hated shots. My mom would take me to the doctor and I was supposed to get a shot and I would just tense up and I'd get really rigid and firm and the doctor would come in and he'd say, Larry, you're 35. And he just stopped. <laughs> just kidding. But I would get really tense and rigid and tighten up, and the doctor would always say, you know, it's going to hurt way more if you just if you relax and get this over with real quick. Just relax your arm, you know, and they'd try all kinds of tricks, you know, shake your arm, all that stuff would always be really intense. But the truth is that sometimes it's, it's by relaxing. Sometimes it's by letting go. It's that idea of surrendering, that God can begin to do his work, that God can begin to do what he wants to do in our lives. And, and now in my life, in the big things and the little things, Jesus asked me to trust him. He asked me to relax. He asked me to trust him in my problems or my suffering and my pain. He says to me, who, who do you believe in? What do you really believe? What really matters in your life? Do you, do you believe what I've told you? Do you believe that I went to the cross for you? Do you believe that I rose again? You see, the beauty of what we have is we have the truth of the cross that Christ came and he gave his life for us, but we also have the truth of the resurrection that because he lives, because Christ came back from the grave, we know that he keeps his promises and he'll continue to keep his promises in our lives. He always does. I, um, you might remember the movie, Evan Almighty. Remember that movie, Evan Almighty? It was about this guy named Evan who sort of, it was a modern day uh, take on Noah. And it was actually better than the Noah movie, I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> it was a take on, the, on, on Noah 
And Evan was this ordinary guy who God speaks to and tells him that he wants him to build an ark. And, and uh, his wife, Joan, has a really important sequence in this movie because Joan, his wife, had prayed that God would make her family closer. That God would make her family closer. And right after that, Evan goes off to build an ark and chaos erupts in their family. You know, it just becomes this ginormous mess. And she is off in a restaurant one day and after she's poured her heart out, uh, she has this waiter. She meets God, meets her in the person of a waiter. I think we have a picture of God. Looks a lot like Morgan Freeman. But she pours her heart out to this waiter. And the, this waiter, who's God posing as a waiter, says to her, let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If he prayed for courage, does God give him courage? Or does he give them opportunity to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be close, for their family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? And God gives us opportunities in our lives to trust him. He gives us opportunities in our lives to examine what really matters, what really has eternal significance, what will really save us, what will really change our lives and the lives of everyone around us. That's what God wants to do. I have this uh, great quote. It says, true change, transformation comes in our lives when we believe to our very core that we are loved by God. Part of this whole thing for us is that when we go through suffering, when we go through struggles in our lives, that we need to be reminded that, the, that God loves us more than we can imagine. He loves us so much that he poured himself into a human form and he came and he walked among us and he died on a cross for us. That is love that, that is so difficult to even get our heads around, but that's how much he loves us. And real transformation comes when in spite of our circumstances, when in spite of everything else that's going on around us, we know that God loves us. And we put our trust in that love. When we believe this, we also know that God uses all of our experiences to produce in us endurance and character and, we, and hope. And we know that he's faithful and that he's promised us he'll complete everything that he starts. That's why James 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, various or you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's why James says when you face trials, let those work, let God use those in your life. 
because what he's building in you is something more than you could hope for. It's certainly more than you could ever accomplish on your own. And he wants you to be complete. He wants you to be steadfast. He wants you to be filled with hope. Corey Tenboom, who spent part of her life in a Nazi concentration camp, said this, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Isn't that a great thing? That's a great truth. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I have this other little quote from C.S. Lewis. It says this, They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. So that, that, that most people believe that there's no suffering in the world that can, that can really be made up for, that you suffer and, and nothing can fix that, nothing can make up for it. But he says those are people who don't know about heaven. Those are people who don't know that, that how this finishes is that we're with God for eternity, that we live with him, that we have that promise because of the resurrection, because of what he did. He keeps his promises and he says, I go to prepare a place for you and you, I'll come and get you and I'll take you where you might be with me, that we have that promise of heaven, that we know how the story ends, we know how it turns out. So in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our failures, we know that there is a God who keeps his promises and he has promised in the end he will right all wrongs, he will, he will dry all tears, that we will spend eternity with him and that's a promise that he intends to keep. And you see, that's a promise that a lot of us really live for. It's a promise that we really need to trust because here's what I believe. I believe someday I'm going to see my father again. I'm going to see him in heaven and we're going to celebrate and we're going to spend eternity together and I believe that that someday I'm going to see my older brother and we're going to embrace each other and we're going to celebrate because I believe in heaven. I believe in the resurrection. I, I believe what Jesus said. And regardless of the pain of losing someone, I have hope because I know how this is going to end. And I have assurance in my life and I can rejoice in the fact that I will be with them. And I get to be with them for a really long time. Forever. So what do we do in the midst of our suffering? What do we do in the middle of our suffering? Here's what David did. Let me just remind us. We hold fast. We worship. We hold fast. We wait. We live by faith. We trust. We hope. We hold fast. We wait. We live by faith. We trust. We hope. And we worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that suffering is not wasted on the people who follow you. That you're our hope, you're our strength, you're our comfort. And so, Lord, we receive that to you. We receive that today. We thank you. Lord, if whoever's here this morning who's suffering or struggling or without hope, Lord, I pray that they would receive your gift, Lord, this morning. I pray that they would understand how much you love them 
pray that they would lean on the truth of the resurrection this morning. Hold fast to you. Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would remind us of what's really important in our lives. Lord, that you would remind us of your love for us, of your grace. You'd strengthen us, Lord. So, Lord, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for these things with grateful hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.